Um, but I played baseball for a little while growing up. I love playing baseball. Uh, how many of y'all have kids that are playing baseball right now? Okay, let me just talk to y'all real quick. Don't be those parents. All right, that's all I'm going to say. You ain't playing. The kids are playing. Don't make it about you. All right, here we go. But uh, baseball, you, you all knew this kid. Welcome, everybody, to Oasis Church. The lights have come on. This looks so different now. I feel like I'm giving, like, uh, like a presentation now, not not a message, but it's okay. Um, we all knew this kid growing up that when we were playing baseball, they would always show up, and they would have the nicest cleats. They would have the nicest gloves. Their parents drove the nicest car. They would have the bat that every kid would want to use. Y'all know what I'm talking about, this kid? And he would, like, come, and he would look the part. And I remember doing this several times growing up and be like, that dude's going to be so good. Like, he's got the sweetest stuff. Like, he looks good. And all of a sudden, we start playing, and I'm like, he ain't that good. Like, he doesn't, he he looks the part, but he's not really playing the part real well, but I'm thinking he's new, maybe he's having a bad day. And sure enough, by the end of the season, you're like, this dude is trash. He's not any good. He's also the kid that like fakes getting hurt because they want attention, you know, and like, but they look the part. They have all the nice stuff, all this stuff. But I remember playing baseball growing up, like the one thing that you wanted to do was make it to the all-star team. Come on, is anyone, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like you wanted to play and you wanted to be good enough to like make the all-star team. That was like your your hopes and dreams. And about halfway through the season, you realize this kid that looked the part, he had all the right stuff, he looked, he could say, he had all the, the, the right stuff and everything, and all of a sudden you're like, this dude ain't making the all-star team. But then there was always the kid on your team that was like too small, he was too short, but what this kid did is he would work when no one was around, and he would better himself. He would work on his swing. He would work on his pitching. He would be fielding ground balls with his dad late at night, you know, and he would get better and better, and all of a sudden, this little kid that you didn't think would amount to anything, all of a sudden, all-star time comes around, and they make the all-star team, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. But I think in our lives, there are people, maybe even in this room, that you look the part, like, you, you say the right things, you might drive the right car, you might give the uh, right amount of money, you might serve. And to everyone else that would look at you, they would think, man, this dude's got it all together. And, uh, man, this person, man, they got everything under control. But really, beneath the surface, if we could get a peek behind the curtain, we would see that maybe you don't have it all together. And maybe there is something that you can work on today. Well, I want to talk, I want y'all to remember that today as a foundation as of what we're talking about today because it has everything to do with what we're talking about today. Some of us look the part, but we're not getting it. And there are some people that, that we judge a book by its cover and they, they don't seem like, they don't look the part, but they're getting it. They're doing all the right things. And so we're going to read, we're going to, this is probably the most scripture I've ever read in one go. I'm not a good public reader, so y'all just bear with me for a second. But we're going to read in John chapter 3. So y'all take your Bibles out, turn your phones on, okay? Get your Bibles, turn them on. And, uh, and I, it's, it's sad. You don't hear the turning pages of the thin Bible. And does anyone have a real Bible in here? I don't even have one. Good. Maybe we need to do that. <laughs> that sounds like something that at least I should have, right? So we're going to be in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And today I'm going to read the ESV version. I'm, I'm throwing a curveball on y'all. Here we go. It says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Y'all say Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher, uh, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do 
unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, aren't you a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen. But you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you didn't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Come on, everybody read this with me. For God so loved the world that he gave, come on, y'all know this. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. All right, y'all can stop now. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he, is, uh, he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has not come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us uh, look at this scripture today as we learn about what it means to follow you about what it means to not just look the part, but to actually be the part. God, I pray you would just speak through your words today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I'm gonna sit down and teach this today, all right? All right, so a couple things I want us to know today. This is gonna be a little bit more academic than what I'm used to doing. So it might be good to take some notes. This might actually help you today, uh, unlike other weeks. <laughs> this might actually help you today. I'm joking. Uh, so I want to give you a couple foundation pieces before we move on. I want to give you a foundation of John, the per- the person, all right, the person that actually wrote this. Who is he? What's he all about? I'm going to give you some of that today. So here's the couple things about John. He was the son of Mary Salome, all right? So Mary Salome was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, okay? So that would make John Jesus's first cousin, all right? And so if you remember, when Jesus was on the cross, uh, it says this in one of the Gospels, that Jesus is on the cross and he looks at John. He looks at this person that wrote this book of the Bible, and he says, hey, will you take care of my mother for me while I'm gone? And John says, absolutely. One thing about John is that John came from a wealthy family because his dad actually ran a successful fishing business. He had multiple boats. He had multiple people working for him. And he. And so Jesus was like, hey, you got money. I'm going to need to take care of my mama now that I'm up here, right? And so, and so that's what he does. Um, 
This is also James' brother, Jesus' first cousin. He was one of the three. So Jesus' followers were broken down into three different sections. Jesus had three people that were his closest friends. Then he had 12 followers, and then he had 70 on top of that. So that's how many people were kind of always following Jesus. And John was up in the upper tier. John was one of the three closest people to Jesus. And actually, I believe that this was Jesus' best friend. Like, I think that he was closest to John. We see John write a lot in his, in his gospel that he would refer to himself as the one Jesus loved, right? Like, that's kind of arrogant a little bit, like, hey, I'm the one that Jesus really liked. But I think that that's what it was. I think they were actually best friends. Uh, he was actually uh, one of the first pastors ever um, and everything like that. And so he died in Ephesus, and that's also where his mom is buried as well. You can go visit those today. And so uh, it's really awesome that he had a person that he mentored that's written some stuff that wasn't in the Bible. This is called Extra Biblical Writings. And uh, it says that this guy said, John, the apostle, published the gospel while he was resident in Ephesus in Asia. And that was the person that John mentored. He actually wrote that. So John is writing this book from the perspective of being Jesus's best friend first cousin, grew up with him, knew everything about him, and John's writing this book. Now, to understand really what this passage is saying, we have to understand, okay, so John, who is John? But also, what is the book of John telling us? And here's a couple things you need to know about the book of John. First thing is this, it's different than the other gospels. So if you look at the first four books of the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're all considered uh, synoptic gospels, which means they kind of narratively tell the story of Jesus in a linear fashion. John is different than all of the other Gospels, and it's actually 90% unique to John. That means over half the miracles in John aren't listed in any other Gospel in the Bible. Uh, And John also uh, has his whole message is proving, in the whole book of John, he's writing this to prove to us that Jesus is actually God. He's actually divine that he's not apart from God. He is God. And there's this dualistic perspective. Uh, John always is saying, you're either of the world or you're, you're of God. But there's no in-between. Like you're either of the world or you're of God. And so John is writing this whole book to prove to us that you don't get God without Jesus. Like you can't have one without the other. And this is something that our culture struggles with right now. That's why I think it's so important for us to teach on this right now is we think that we can access God and get the things of God, but we don't like Jesus. We don't like talking about Jesus. We don't believe in the teachings of Jesus. We don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We don't believe these things, and that causes a problem because you can't get God without Jesus. So now that we have this foundation, let's look at this passage again. Let's kind of break it down a little bit. It says this in uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man, he came by Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things unless unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is a really interesting person. Let's talk about him for a second. Nicodemus is what we call a Pharisee. They were a religious. They were like uh, religious leaders at the time. And Nicodemus was actually a leader among the Pharisees. So he was like there were like super religious people, and then there was Nicodemus who was like super mega religious person, right? And so that's what he did. He was uh, his life would have really looked the part. 
He would have been the kid on the baseball team that had the right glove, that had the right bat, that had the right cleats, that had like he came with his pants tucked in his socks, which what I would is that even cool anymore? Do they do that now, Matt? Sort of, no. Okay, I, I would not be cool now, but I was freaking cool then, right? Like I was awesome. I wasn't. I did make the all-star team though, so come on. Um, but I did not work hard and uh, and try to work on my swing. I wasn't that kid either. But uh, he he looked the part. He was great at keeping the rules. You would look at Nicodemus and go, man, this guy. If anyone's going into God's kingdom, it's this guy. Like he's he's really. He, he, I've never heard the man cuss. I saw him stub his pinky toe the other day, and I didn't hear him say anything, right? He's, a, he's just a great guy, right? And so he, he, he is, but he's also really great at making sure that other people keep the rules. So he not only keeps the rules, but he's making sure you're keeping the rules too, and he kind of keeps you in check. But he notices something different about Jesus. And Jesus is doing some crazy stuff. Like he's turning water into wine. He's walking on water. He's healing people. He's doing all this stuff. And he's got to know like, okay, there is something up with Jesus. I got to figure this thing out. And so he visits Jesus at night. And there's a lot of speculation on why he did this. Uh, was it because he wanted uninterrupted time with Jesus? So he visits him at night so that like no one else is bothering Jesus. Or was it because he was embarrassed and didn't want to be seen with Jesus and so he came at night to avoid being seen? Or was it a picture that John was trying to paint to show us the condition of Nicodemus's soul? You know, I think that it's a little bit of a combination of all those things. Like, he kind of wanted some uninterrupted time, but he also didn't want to be seen. But John's also writing this to show us that, like, he might look the part, but what's happening on the inside of him is not ha- it's not the right thing. And so this dude, he's actually trying to compliment Jesus. He's saying, hey, you're doing all these great things. It's kind of amazing. We can see that God is on you. Like, this is awesome. But Jesus doesn't have time for the fluff. And Jesus just looks at him, and he basically just looks at him and says this. It says, John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. So here is Nicodemus trying to say, hey, man, you're pretty awesome. And Jesus just goes, okay, but you can't come to the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So you're thinking, what? That is a kind of a weird response, right? And Nicodemus said, but how can a man be born when he's old? Like, can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And so Jesus is is basically cutting through the fluff, and he's saying, listen, I know why you're here. It ain't to give me a compliment. You're trying to figure out what's different about me, and I'm going to tell you what's different about me today. And he says, hey, bro, like, and I, I'm just going to shoot you straight. And Nicodemus is really confused by the statement because just like you would be confused, he's trying to rationalize, like, wait a second, I have to be born a second time? Like, how is that even possible, right? Like, how physically, biologically, my mom's, his mom was probably dead by this point. Nicodemus, he was an old guy, right? Like, I don't even know how this is, like, so you're saying that, and so he's trying to question Jesus and go, how can someone be born again? Like, I don't understand. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you can't be of this world and enter into my kingdom. You can't do the the two things. The way that you are right now isn't good enough to enter into my kingdom. Something has 
to change. And he's trying to tell Nicodemus, like, hey, the way that you are, even as good as you are, it's not good enough to enter into my kingdom. You're not going to make the all-star team, buddy. That's what he's saying. He's like, listen, I know you look the part, but you're, you're kind of bad, right? Like, you're, you're just not doing the right stuff. And he's saying only people who are born again can enter into my kingdom. They have to be recreated. They have to be born again. Something has to change. Something has to be completely different about you. And so Nicodemus kind of questions him again. He says, do you really expect people to be literally born again? Like, that's crazy. And you can almost feel Jesus' head start to shake and, like, do the, the face palm, like, gosh, he's not getting this, right? And so Jesus explains And I'm not going to get into all these verses because they can be kind of confusing. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, natural things come from natural things. People come from people. But spiritual things can only come from the Spirit. And there's a mystery there. It doesn't follow the logic that Nicodemus wanted it to follow. It might not follow the logic that you want it to follow right now. But spiritual things come from the Spirit. That's what he's talking about, the wind. He's saying, you can see the wind. You, can see, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't, there's a mystery there. And so Jesus is comparing this to the Spirit. He's saying, hey, there's a belief that there's wind. Why? Because you can see it when it blows. Like you can feel it on your skin. You can see the leaves and the trees blow. You can see the ground. Like you can see the effects of the wind. And so you believe that there is one, even though that you can't see it. Nicodemus says to him in, in John chapter 3, verse 9, he says, how can these things be? Like, how is this possible? Like, how can these things be? And so Jesus gets on his level. He's realizing, like, Nicodemus ain't coming up to me. I'm going to have to dumb this down to something that he can understand. And, he's, and, he, and he explains to him in terms that he'll understand. I want to tell you that today. Jesus will meet you on your level, by the way. If you're not quite getting it, that is okay. Nicodemus didn't just let him go, but Nicodemus met him where he's at. And some of that's my job. I try to put some stuff on the bottom shelf for you so it's easy to understand. And Nicodemus is trying to do this. And so Nicodemus knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. The dude could recite any passage. He knew every story. And so Jesus reminds him of a story in the Old Testament. And here's how the story goes. This is in Deuteronomy. This is a crazy story. If you don't know much about the Bible, this is a weird one, all right? This is a good one. Um, and it's a story about the people of Israel were actually wandering around the wilderness. The people of Israel were set free by Egypt. They wandered around the wilderness for 40 years until they could enter into the land that God had prepared for them. But they were also complaining. They were doing some really dumb stuff. They were saying, we're sick of this food that God's miraculously providing us. We don't want to eat it anymore. It's kind of bland. By the way, it's hot. When we were in captivity in Egypt, at least we got fed three times a day. At least we like had a roof over our heads. And at least they they thought that being in captivity was better than being free. And so they're complaining. And so God gets mad. Now, here's the deal. Don't make God mad. All right? Here's what God did. All right? He said, God gets mad, and he sends poisonous snakes all throughout the camp that the Israelites are in, and these snakes start biting people. I mean, can you imagine right now if 15 snakes got loose in here that were poisonous, what would happen? I mean, it'd be crazy. And I'd be out that door right there. I, y'all, fit for your, have fun. Like, I'm gone. And so their snakes are biting people, and their people are, like, legit dying. And this was God's way of saying, like, stop. Like, I'll show you who sustains your life. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release some snakes. And so he releases some snakes. By the way, next week we're going to do some snake handling, all right? If you want to, I'm joking. We're not going to do that. <laughs> I used to think I wasn't afraid of snakes. And when we lived in Florida one time, we were walking at night and a snake darted out in front of us. I was high-stepping out of there. I was like, I guess I'm afraid of snakes. So snakes were biting people. People were dying. And wouldn't you know, this gets people's attention, right? Like, wouldn't that get your attention? Like, okay, maybe we should do so. And so what, what do they do? They go to Moses, and they start complaining again. Like, they're like, hey, these snakes keep biting us. And he's like, I know. If you just keep your mouth shut and be thankful for what God's doing for you, we wouldn't be in this, this predicament. And so God tells Moses, this is crazy, get a stick, and I want you to make a replica of the snake, and I want you to put it on the stick. And so the way that he had to make this work was there was a part of the, the stick that went up like and he put a pole across the stick like this, and it made a cross, all right? So this is an early indication of the cross. And he would put, he put a replica of the snake in bronze on this stick, and he told the people, if you look at this snake, you'll be saved. And so people would go and they would look at this snake. That he would he raised up this 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 staff that had a the snake on it. That was their healing. That was everything like they needed to get out of the predicament they were in. And they he raised it up and people could look at it. And when they looked at it, their poison went out of their body. The snake stopped biting them. And that's how God saved them from that. So he reminds Nicodemus of this story. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And so Jesus is saying everyone is like the people of Israel. They need a Savior. They need something to look to. They need something to believe in, just like the snake in the wilderness. You remember that story, Nicodemus? Like the, the people need something like that. And guess what? I'm that person. And he referred to himself as the Son of Man. He said, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up just like that. And he's going to help save people from where they are right now. And then right after saying this, we see the most famous words in the entire Bible. All of you, if I ask you right now, most of you could probably tell me this. And it says this. It says, hey, the Son of Man has got to be lifted up. These people need a hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to be lifted up. That whoever believes in him, whoever can see him and, and put their faith in this son that's going to be lifted up, they're not going to perish. In fact, not only are they not going to perish, but they're going to have eternal life. Like, they're going to live forever, but that also had a connotation, not only eternal life as far as the length of time, but also the value of your life, like the fullness of your life is going to be full. And I want to tell you today that if you want to enter into God's kingdom, you don't have to look the part. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Like, truly believe in Jesus. Truly look to the one that was raised up that you can look to. Here's the deal. People don't go to hell because of their sin. People go to hell. Your sin's been paid for. Jesus died for it on the cross. It's paid for. People go to hell because they don't believe in Jesus. And people struggle through life because they don't believe in Jesus. Now, Christians struggle too, but we struggle differently. We have a hope when we struggle. We know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. We know that we're not alone. 
But some people don't know that. It's because they haven't believed in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, the Bible teaches us that it changes you. It makes you born again. That's where this whole thing is coming from. It, 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 it creates a new it creates a new creation inside of you. You're not a better version of yourself when you're born again. You're a completely new thing. And that new thing is able to enter into the kingdom of God, but it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. That means you have to have a true encounter with Jesus. And I believe that when you do, your life begins to change. The fancy theological word for that is regeneration. That's what we call that. But that's that sounds too weird. So the, the thing is, you're born again and you're made new. That's what that means. That means your desires can, your, your desires can change. That means you can have joy again. That means that like everything about you that you know is not complete and that is lacking something can be made new. And it can actually, Jesus can actually change you. And that is why John 6, 3.16 is so important. It's because it gives us hope to say, man, if I believe in Jesus, my life can change. Like, I could be born again. It's where Jesus explains the object of God's love, the expression of God's love, the recipient of God's love, the intention of God's love, and the duration of God's love. John 3.16 has all that in it. You are the object of God's love. It's expressed through Jesus. You also receive God's love. And it's so that you can be with him, have a relationship with him, so that you can be in him forever. And God offers that to every person on planet Earth, including you, right where you are. You don't have to change. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to clean up your act before you come to Jesus. No, you come to Jesus, and he helps you clean up your act. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes real quick. I have two responses for today. The first is this. It's for the person in the room that's already put their, their faith in Jesus. But maybe you've along the way stopped really truly believing in Jesus and who you serve and who's in you. And we have forgotten who we say that we believe in. And maybe that's caused you to backslide a little bit, to get a little old school word on you, backslide a little bit. Or maybe it's gotten you into trouble. Or maybe that's caused some pain in your life. Well, today, I want to give you an opportunity to believe again. To just be reminded, make a, another commitment to Jesus and surrender to Jesus the things that you've been trying to do. God, I've been trying to make myself happy by, by feeling the void in my life with relationships. God, I, you need to repent of that today. You need to turn around and put your faith in Jesus. For some of you, it might be money. For some of you, it might be happiness. For some of you, it might be your kids. For some of you, it might be whatever, stuff, possessions. But Jesus is saying to you today, hey, believe in me. I'm the thing that can make you better. I'm the thing that can give you a fresh start. I'm the thing that you need to put your trust in, nothing else. So if that's you today, I just want to pray for you. God, I just pray for people in this room that might feel like they have put their faith in you, but maybe they've forgotten along the way. 
who they put their trust in. God, would you meet them where they are? Would you help them today to repent and to surrender those things to you so that they can uh, invite you into the situations? God, we love you. And maybe you're in here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus ever. I want to invite you to do that today, to just decide right now, draw a line in the sand, say, today I'm going to believe in Jesus. I've tried this thing on my own. It's not working out. I might even look like I have it all together. I would be embarrassed to tell them that I want to believe in Jesus for the first time. But, hey, today's your day. Put your trust in Jesus and watch him change everything. It might not happen overnight. I'm not going to promise you you're going to walk and open up your bank account and it's going to have a million dollars in there. But your hope can change right now. Your eternal destiny can change right now. You can get purpose right now. And if you want to make that decision to follow Jesus for the first time uh, ever, I'd love for you to just, on the count of three, just raise your hand. And then I'd love to just pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, nothing like that. So here we go. One, two, three. If you want to make that decision, you can raise your hand. Or you can put it down. If that's you, you can say this prayer after me. You can say, dear God, I invite you into my life. I put my faith in you. I believe in you. And I make you the Lord of my life. And in the best way I know how, I will live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, y'all give God a hand in this place.